All right, if you'll take out your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin at verse 6 this week. Uh, If you were here last week, you'll remember that it was one of your favorite sermons that you've ever heard. Uh, The reason for that was I preached about 26 minutes last week, okay, and uh, there's never been a bad short sermon. Everybody loves a short sermon, but in that sermon, we laid a foundation for what I want to talk to you about today, and there were four corners to that foundation. The first is this, that in life, you reflect what you worship. So that which you put worth on, you ultimately begin to reflect that in your life. The second thing that we talked about was that You reflect Jesus by walking in love as Jesus walked in love. The third corner of that foundation is that you reflect Jesus by talking in gratitude. And then we saw at the end of the passage last week that if, if you reflect the wrong image of God or a false image of God, it leads to idolatry both in your life and in the lives of others. Correspondingly, if you reflect the true image of God, then it leads you and it leads other people to worship the true God. Well, in verse 6, the story continues, and the Bible says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. There's an organization out there called TED, not TED. Ted Cruz for president, but this, this organization, TED, is a nonprofit, and its theme is ideas worth sharing. And so what they have is they have conferences where people can share ideas. They normally share these ideas in 18-minute talks that they call TED Talks. And from this has, you know, grown this large uh, nonprofit organization. They now have TED.com. They have books. They have programs. They have institutes, all these things to help you communicate ideas in an effective way. Now, here's, here's their concept. They, they believe that ideas are the currency of the 21st century. So here's how this works. If you have a good idea and then you have the ability to express that idea well, that equals the ability to help humanity, or it could equal the ability for you and your business to make money. But ultimately, things begin with ideas and your ability to express those ideas. And to a large extent, if you think about our culture, our world, ideas are what formulate a lot of the business activity that's out there today. In our world, we are bombarded by people selling ideas. In politics, you have people selling ideas. Vote for me, and I'll fix it. And so you go out, you vote for Pedro, and then he doesn't fix anything. I mean, we've all had that experience. You you vote for somebody, you think this will fix it. You vote for him, it kind of stays the same. Tonight at the Super Bowl, you'll have all sorts of people trying to sell you ideas. Guess how much it costs to have a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl tonight at primetime. Five million is, is the, I believe, the high figure for a 30-second spot in the Super Bowl. So they, they've spent $5 million, and they have 30 seconds to sell you on something. 30 seconds to sell you on the idea that Taco Bell is good for you, okay? 
30 seconds to sell you on the idea that if you drink Pepsi, you'll sing like Elvis. But they're trying to sell you some type of idea and some type of product. People try to sell you their ideas about sex. They try to sell you their ideas about family, life, significance, and God all the time. And sometimes people communicate ideas to you about God that are grounded in Scripture and they're true and they're holy and they're, they're good for you. And sometimes people try to sell you ideas about God that are not grounded in Scripture, they're not true. And if you embrace them, if you buy them, it's going to lead in your life to idolatry. So verse 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Don't let them deceive you by portraying pictures of God and talking about God's in in way that is inconsistent with what God has revealed to us in Scripture. Now, the context here is idolatry, and specifically he's saying don't let anyone shape a false image of God for you, and then you start worshiping that idol. Thursday night around the Banks house is trash night, and so we we have a ritual after dinner, We'll go and gather all the small trash cans around the house, put them in the big bag, and then Dad will take it out to the bin, and I'll, I'll uh, you know, load all that trash along with other trash in the trash bin, and I'll take it out to, to the street. And then at 7 a.m. on Friday, a glorious thing happens. The trash truck comes. And uh, we don't have much entertainment around our house, so we just kind of sit there and watch it, you know. And, and the trash truck comes, and, and all this trash that has accumulated, that has cluttered our house throughout the course of the week, all that trash is just emptied, it's burned, it's taken away, it's gone. Wouldn't it be great if life just had this trash truck and all the garbage that you deal with on a day-in, day-out basis? Once a week, somebody just came and just took it away. And, and you just, okay, okay, that's one strike. If you mess up again, I'm sending you the trash truck, okay? I mean, wouldn't that be great? Well, in verse 6b, the Bible says, For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. And so we need to understand that there is a day when the garbage that we see in our world, the darkness that we see in our world, the unrighteousness, the injustice that is so prevalent that all these things are going to be taken away and taken to the incinerator. There is such a thing as the wrath of God. But now most of the time whenever we think about wrath, what image does it convey to you? Irrational anger and kind of poured out in emotional tantrums. Well, the wrath of God is not irrational anger. Uh, God doesn't tweet his wrath in Trumpian fashion. He, he's not Tony Soprano. He's not uh, Adolf Hitler. He's not Hannibal Lecter. God's wrath is actually grounded in his goodness and justice. You see, because God is good and because God is just, it is his holy and justified reaction to that which is evil. He is in authority. He is holy. He is the creator And out of his holiness flows the reality that he also has wrath. And the Bible teaches that there is coming a day when the wrath of God will be poured out on the disobedient. But now here's the good news. The wrath of God never has to be poured out on you. Because God's wrath has already been poured out on his son. 
when he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And Jesus absorbed the wrath of God and he left it in the grave. And through his resurrection and through who Jesus is, he offers us something that is so much better than fairness. Jesus offers us grace and forgiveness to all who believe. See, that's part of the core message of Jesus, that he has taken on the judgment of sin upon himself. He has overcome the wages of sin, which is death. And he has extended to you and to me grace and forgiveness that is found not through our goodness and through our capabilities, but through him. And so I have this basic question that is fundamental to our Christian faith, and that is, has there ever been a time in your life when you believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord? Has there ever been that initial faith step in your life? Whenever you came face to face with the realization, I am not God, I have done things which are wrong, I need forgiveness, you've repented of running away from God, instead you've turned to God, you've bowed the knee and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and been the recipient of the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that only He can give you. There's never been that time in your life. I'm praying that today is that day for you. I'm praying that today God gets a hold of your heart and it's your day of faith. I would love to talk to you about it. I hang out here at the front during the invitation hymn. Come see me. I'm here after the service. I'd love to talk to you about it. If for whatever reason you can't find me, don't let that stop you. You know, Talk to somebody that you know that walks with Christ and tell them, I need to take that initial step of faith and just bow the knee and surrender to Jesus today. And you can be the recipient of His grace and His forgiveness. So verse 6 reminds us that we should not be deceived by empty arguments. It reminds us that there is a day when God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. And then in verse 7, it starts with this word, therefore. Now a basic Bible premise, anytime you see the word Therefore, in Scripture, you should stop and ask what it's there for, yeah, because there's a concluding thought coming here that's going to kind of begin to wrap up the previous section. So the Bible says, therefore, do not become their partners. The Apostle Paul is begging us here, don't buy the garbage. Don't buy the garbage about God that people are trying to sell you. Don't trade the true God, for something that merely resembles God. Don't settle for anything less than the God of Scripture, the God, the God of the heavens that has saved your soul and mine. Over, over the last 50 years in American Christianity, there has been a, a little trend to develop. And not all churches, not all Christians, but... There's been this trend to trade the Jesus of the Bible for a Richard Simmons meets Tony Robbins motivational speaker kind of Jesus. And there's been this subtle trade-off. And literally there's been a, a fear 
that if we talk too much about Jesus in church, no one will come to church. And there's been a lot of good churches, a lot of good ministers get caught up in being, for lack of a better term, trendy. And what's happened is frequently we have abandoned our heritage and we've embraced the superficial. And so we never really think in church. We never really study the Bible. We kind of just stay at the surface feeling level. I'm a student of preaching. I I like to study what preaching is and, and what it's not. And there's been a lot of what I call cupcake sermons preached over the last 50 years. A cupcake sermon is this. You, you tell a lot of good stories. Uh, you make people laugh and you kind of tell stories and have a little fun. And then you kind of sprinkle it with Scripture. So you know how you, know, you have your cupcake and you kind of put the little sprinkles on top of it? That's what the Bible becomes. And so at the end of the, at the, end of the 30 minutes, the cupcake tastes good. I mean, you enjoy the cupcake but it doesn't really have any spiritual nutrition. And so whenever you eat cupcakes week after week, it eventually leads to malnourishment. And we've seen this in some of our churches across our country that you have, you have a lot of Christians that can't really even uh, talk about the basics of our faith. And we've suddenly begun to embrace this image of the gospel that Jesus is like a train that you ride to your preferred destination in life. And so there's a lot of people that have hopped aboard the Jesus train and they're thinking to themselves, hey, Jesus is going to help me be more successful in my career. Uh, it's going to solve all these problems I have in my family. Uh, Jesus is like a vitamin peel. He, he's something that I need to take every day. And so we think that Jesus is going to get us to this preferred destination. And we've sold that as the gospel. And we failed to realize that Jesus is not a vehicle to take you to your preferred just destination. Jesus is the destination. And as a church, we are a community of believers who worship the name of Jesus. There is no other name other than Him. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And we exist for Him. When you meet Jesus, you've arrived at the destination. That's the destination of worship. Now, I think the hope was... and. I think the hope may have been somewhat sincere, at least at the beginning. That, that the hope was that if we can make church less Jesus-y, then more people will come to church. But now we're about 25 years into this trend and fewer people are coming to church. Fewer people are being baptized. Churches are closing around the country at an alarming pace. There's now a shortage of godly pastors. And as I said earlier, a lot of folks that come to church week after week still struggle with some of the basics of the Christian faith. So now here's my point. My point's not to be critical. My point is that the answer to the darkness of our world is not to become its partner. The answer is for us who are believers to walk in light. And if you look at verse 8, the Bible says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Then what does it say? Walk as, say it with me, children of light. We are to walk as children of light. In December, Facebook 
published its 10 most talked about stories for 2015. These were the stories that generated the most discussion on Facebook. Number one was the United States presidential election. Number two was the November 13 attacks in Paris, a coordinated series of terrorist attacks that killed 130 people and allowed the, or led the country to being on a three-month state of emergency. Number three was the Syrian civil war and refugee crisis, where four to six million people are fleeing their country because of the war and the corruption that is taking place within their country. Number four was the Nepal earthquakes, where 8,964 people were killed, 21,000 injured, and let this sink in, hundreds of thousands homeless. Number five was the Greek debt crisis. Greece became the first major developed country to fail to make its repayment to the International Monetary Fund. Number six was the marriage equality debate, where the U.S. Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage within our nation. And those of us who continue to hold to biblical and traditional views of marriage are often viewed as bigots within the country today. Number seven was the fight against ISIS, the jihadist movement that is known for its savage actions. And, of course, we're all familiar with what's happening there. Number eight was the Charlie Hebdo attack. Two brothers who had been indoctrinated in radical Islam uh, storm an office area and kill 11 people in retaliation for offensive cartoons. Number nine was the Baltimore protest, where massive protests began to break out after the death of Freddie Gray while he was in police custody. Number 10 was the Charleston shooting and flag debate, where nine people were killed during a church prayer meeting by a 21-year-old gunman who hoped that by killing these people, he could begin a race war. This is our world. It's what we read. It's what we watch. It's what we talk about. It's where we live. And it's often very, very dark. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, it's kind of depressing to me. A little bit, I kind of feel a little down in the dumps after going through that list. We need a puppy or a baby or something to kind of lighten the mood. Oh, there we go. Okay. There's Camden. That's my uh, newborn son. Can you believe? Yeah, he, he's already, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, He's already almost a month old, and that was taken this week, and he's doing, he's doing great. Stacy and I want to thank you guys so much for your prayers, for your encouragement. A lot of you have extended generosity our way, and, and we're just very thankful for that. Christians are not supposed to be partners of darkness. We are to walk as children of light. The gospel destroys the darkness of death with the light of new life. We've got to remember this. The, the message of Christianity is not doom and gloom and depress, depression. The gospel is the most positive, 
liberating, extraordinarily good news that you could possibly share. And it transforms people from the inside out. It sets them free. It brings forgiveness. It brings grace. It makes all things new whenever we share the message of the gospel because it has destroyed darkness and has brought the light of new life. So if you continue in verse 9, the Bible says, For the fruit of light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear. Look at verse 14. For what makes everything clear is light. I want you to notice four things about about the passage real quickly here. Number one, Whenever you and I walk in light, it results in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now remember, we are not the generators of light. The Son, Jesus, is the generator of light. You reflect what you worship. So as you worship Jesus, then you begin reflecting in your world goodness, righteousness, and truth, and you become a reflector of the light. Number two, the Bible says whenever you walk in light, it pleases the Lord. Number three... Whenever you walk in light, it will expose darkness. There will be a contrast between light and dark. Now, this doesn't mean that you walk around as a Christian. Like, remember the old game, whack-a-mole? And every time you see somebody doing wrong, you're like, repent in the name of the Lord, and you kind of whack them upside the head, okay? That's that, you know, you don't have to carry like a a Bible, you know, a huge Bible, and just kind of swap people with it, all right? That's not what I'm talking about here, but as you walk in light, and yes, sometimes share the message directly, as you walk in light, it will provide contrast and it will expose darkness. And number four, light makes everything clear. Whenever there is light, you can see, and you can see clearly. And whenever you abide in that light, you experience truth, and truth will set you free. It was a 40-degree night on the Olympic Peninsula. A few friends and I had just finished a 20-plus mile backpacking trip. And so for our last night, we were going to sleep out on this beach. So my tent was sitting behind some drift logs, large logs that had just drifted in from the ocean, and they were providing some shelter for me in order to keep my tent from blowing away. It was an uninhabited beach. There was nobody else that I could see on the beach. We were the only ones there as far as the eye could see. And literally our our tent, my tent was sitting about 25 yards from the Pacific Ocean. It had been a long day and I was tired. We just had a nice campfire and so I kind of snuggled into my sleeping bag and I was enjoying the sound of the ocean and ready to go to sleep. And then I had one of the most horrifying moments that a backpacker can ever have. You get all comfortable in your sleeping bag and in your tent, and then nature calls. Uh Uh-oh. And you realize it's about eight hours till dawn. So you unzip the sleeping bag, and you get your boots on, and you know, you got to you know, you know, you got to go take care of things, okay? So I, I, uh, I get my trusty iPhone out. 
because it has that flashlight on it. And I'm like, you know, my iPhone will light the way. And so I get out of the tent and I start walking down the beach. And as I'm walking down the beach, I've got my little light and I begin to realize I really don't need this light because I, I could see. Now, what was interesting is I'm, I'm on this beach miles away from buildings and things like that. It was the middle of the night, and I could see. In fact, I, I took a picture that night on, on the beach, and, and you could see. And literally, uh, you, if, if you'll see those little shadows out here in the distance there, those are some sea stacks that were probably a couple miles from where I was. We're in the dead of night, and there's enough light for me with an iPhone 5 to take a picture, and it can capture things a couple miles away. There's no light source, so where's the light coming from? Well, the sun was reflecting off the moon, and the moon was reflecting off the ocean, and the moon was reflecting off the sand. And though it was dark, there was plenty of light to see because of all this reflection that was taking place around me. And so there was this moment where I was just standing on the beach taking all this in, and it, I, I was about ready to worship, you know. It was just like, I, I just want to worship right now. And then a bird squawked at me from the rainforest, and I thought, I better get back to my tent real fast. You may think that you are just a, a small light in a sea of darkness, but you're not alone. Because sitting around you this morning in this room are children of the light. And in our church, there are 500 lights reflecting the sun. And in our county, there are thousands of lights reflecting the sun. And in our country, there are millions of lights reflecting the sun. And in our world, there are billions of lights reflecting the sun because we as God's children have been called to imitate God and be children of the light. Jesus once said in his most famous sermon, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. Now notice this part. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and come to this time of commitment. Our Lord, I, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for the forgiveness that is found in Christ. I'm thankful, Father, for the life with which you've blessed me. I pray, Lord, that I might reflect you in my life. Help me, Lord, when I talk to my children whenever I try to be a good husband to my wife, 
that I might reflect your love and lead them to worship. I pray, Lord, that as a church, that we will never settle for something that merely resembles Jesus. Help us, Father, not to get caught up in something that's idolatry. Help us, Lord, to worship you for who you are and that we will reflect you. I pray, Lord, that we as a congregation will be children of the light and that that light will shine into our community. And I'm thankful, Father, that we are not the only church that is shining a light, that around this community, around our world, the light is shining. And I pray, Lord, that you might give us the wisdom, give us the endurance to continue shining the light and truth until you come again and pierce the darkness. Father, thank you that we are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, that all things have become new. Help us to live in that transformation. In Jesus' name we pray.